Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to this special edition of Geek Town Radio. Uh, it's a special edition this week based around horror. So uh, one of the reasons we're doing a special this week is because I'm away on Monday doing some other stuff. So uh, I had a couple of interviews which I thought would work quite well together as a special and they're both really appropriate for this week. Coming up later in the show, we've got an interview with the supervising sound editors of A Quiet Place, which is uh, the movie that's out at the moment, which has been getting amazing reviews. Um, but before that, we're going to talk to Aaron Martin, who is the series creator of the horror anthology series Slasher. The show is due to return for its second season titled Slasher Guilty Party on Pick TV from Tuesday, the 1st of May at 10 p.m. Um, it's inspired by those 80s and 90s slasher movies. It's every inch a teen slasher fest uh, with some incredibly violent deaths in it. Uh, I've seen the first episode. It's, it's immense fun. Uh, we chat a bit with Aaron uh, on the phone to talk about the show and his inspiration behind it. So uh, here's the interview with Aaron. We'll see you afterwards for the Quiet Place interview. Hi, Aaron. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. So you're based up in Canada, I take it. I am. I am in Canada. <laughs> uh, is that where you shoot the show as well yeah we shoot it um season one we shot in northern ontario and then season two we shot like an hour north of toronto yes yeah it's useful that sort of area there seems to be a lot of like you know an, an hour from a beach an hour from like a snowy hilltop <laughs> you know an hour from woodlands that sort of thing yeah, really yeah you get a lot of different look not far from toronto which is good except of course you know uh, the seasons impact that but uh, season two was a snowy season so it was perfect yeah yeah we should say the show you're you're on to talk about is uh, slasher the guilty party which is the second season of, of right. uh, slasher uh comes on to pick tv over here on may the first i think everywhere else in the world it's on netflix but it's <laughs> it's on pick tv over here yeah i think there's some there's some um territories that aren't netflix or at least netflix doesn't get the first window but yeah um definitely uk is on pick tv so do you, do you want to just um explain a little bit about uh, what we're going to see in the second season sure um so season two i mean it's right in the title it's it's very much about guilt um that's why it's called guilty party uh it's about uh, a bunch of friends who were at a summer camp who did something really terrible and have come back five years later to bury the evidence that someone is not going to let them <laughs> so like season one like season one there's going to be you know one or more kills every episode and it's it's not just a slasher show it's also a murder mystery um so by the end of the season you will know who did what and who's doing what yeah i have watched the first episode i missed the first season i'm sorry to say uh i i don't immediately go for horror shows usually or sort of you know shows with kind of going but uh, i i have seen the first episode because they sent me it for the interview of season two i i really enjoyed it it was uh it's it's got that okay. sort of feel of of those sort of um well slasher movies you know so uh so yeah, yeah. i I really, really enjoyed that episode. There is a particularly gory death in, in that first episode as well. 
Yeah, just a bit. <laughs> you know, it gets worse, though. <laughs> or better, depending on how you feel about it. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, we, I mean, we upped the kills definitely from season one to season two. And it's not like the whole, I mean, most of the show actually isn't that. Most of the show is a character drama and a, and a murder mystery with punctuations of really disturbing murders. Yeah, I I could see that, definitely. The murders are fairly disturbing. <laughs> um, yeah. You talk about it being a murder mystery. I have to say, watching it, one of the shows that came to mind was how to get away with murder in the the mm. sort of structure of, of really not knowing exactly what's going on right at the beginning and and you sort of more as revealed as you kind of go through the the uh, season i guess yeah i'm assuming that's a sort of conscious way of of you know you you want to kind of use that to to tease the audience out yeah i mean like the, the difference between doing a slasher series and a slasher movie is in a slasher movie, you have, you know, you have 120 minutes maximum to just do a bunch of carnage, but we've got eight hours and you can't just, you can't spend eight hours of just killing people because that would be repetitive and boring. So, um, and for me, like the, the reason that I like this genre is because I'm a big fan of Agatha Christie and she basically wrote the first slasher film and I guess it was a novel, but in, um, and then there were none, which was you know, a bunch of people on an island stranded who get killed one by one for something they did in the past. And and that was as much of an inspiration for me with Slasher as the Slasher movies I grew up on in the 80s. Yeah, that makes sense. You can see it coming through, certainly. The cast for this season, you've got some people coming back from season one, but it's an anthology series, so they're in different roles. Uh, you've also added a few new people, a few familiar faces like Leslie Hope, which people will know as Terry Bauer from 24, yeah. and uh, Ty Olson, who was Benny in Supernatural, and a few other people as well. So how did you get the cast together for the... Uh, the obviously, you knew some of them. How did you get the new people in? Um, well, it's a, it's a broad combination of... Um, the, the great thing about about doing an, an eight-part anthology show that we actually block shoot. So we block, we shoot all eight at the same time. And that means that we can get people like Leslie Hill, but we can get people like Tiles and then they can fit in, you know, a couple of weeks in between their other busy schedules. So it's actually really amazing that there are a lot of Canadian actors uh, who we probably wouldn't get if we had to have them year after year, but we can get because of the way we shoot it. And, and so that's how we got some of the, the bigger names in the show. But it's also a combination of people that I've worked with, not just on this show, but on other series. So uh, Paula Brancati, who plays Dawn, is, is, a, is an actress I worked with on, on a show called Being Erica. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it's it's such a small community in Canada. You basically know everybody. And uh, if I worked on Degrassi, the, the Next Generation. I did its first four seasons, and there are so many actors that have come out of that that I that I keep working with as they you know as they age and they can take on different roles. So it's it's actually a it's actually a great thing with this show because again, it's such a small specific window of time we shoot it that we can we can bring in lots of people. Yeah, yeah, that's and you need a high turnover of cast, I guess, if you're killing people off quite yeah. a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got you need a few people. <laughs> and then there was there was just you know I just like working with actors who I worked with before because. You know, you, you you get to know them really well, and it's it's fun to see them play different parts. It's like Paula Brancati for going back to her. She played a completely different character on Being Erica, the nice, fun, happy friend, and now she's playing a very mean, horrible person. And it's it's fun to see someone who's as nice in real life as Paula is stretch herself that way. Yeah, 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 definitely. You've you've got this interesting setup this time around with the kind of two groups because you've got the kids that are coming back up to this place where they used to have this summer camp which is now being turned into this kind of spiritual retreat so you've got this bunch of people that are sort of the spiritual kind of hippie sort of guys and then these people that are coming up to try and cover up this uh thing that they did so do you want to just talk a little bit about uh, the juxtaposition between those two groups yeah i mean it's unlike season one which was uh, uh, set in a small town and everybody was uh, a potential victim or, or killer the this, this season's really isolated. It takes place over three or four days, and we really needed an us versus them kind of feel for the show. And I just, I just like the idea of a bunch of new age hippies, <laughs> you know, facing the fact that there, there might be a killer among them, or they might have, they might have just opened their doors to a killer, and uh, and also seeing what 
secrets those people have and what they've escaped from, like why, why they've secluded themselves in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, there does seem to be some interesting stories going to come out of that from uh, from what I saw in that first yeah. episode. Yeah. Where did the story idea come from? Have you got any experience of sort of summer camps and uh, and those sort of retreat places? Because uh, summer camps are something we don't really do in the UK, but obviously are quite aware of because of the American movies and that sort of stuff. So yeah, you know, it's it's funny because actually I find the woods terrifying just in general. Like I, I'm I'm a weird Canadian that I never went to summer camp. Most everybody else did. Um, <laughs> where I grew up, it wasn't like this northern this northern feel that the show has. I grew up in like the very south of southern Ontario, so we we, we would go down to Lake Erie, which is not the same thing at all. Yeah. So I, I don't like the woods. I don't like the outside and it terrifies me in itself. So it, it just kind of felt like a perfect setting for this, especially with the weather of winter and the fact that you're, you can't just, you know, hail a taxi or an Uber and save yourself. You're stuck there. <laughs> yeah. Those sort of isolated settings seem to work very well for these sort of horror genre things. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, the also, also thing is like, you don't want the audience to be going, why don't they just leave? Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know, if I was being, you know, hunted down, I would probably not stay if I could. Yes. Very true. You created the series and you've, have you written all the episodes as well? Um, season one, I wrote all the episodes, but season two, I had a, a bunch of freelance writers who, who wrote. So I wrote, right. I wrote the first and the last one, and then each other one, all the other six were written by different writers. Are you on set most of the time as well, or, or is it sort of just handed off to a director and, and uh, um, left to it? We do an interesting, yeah, we do an interesting, because we're shooting all eight at once, we have only one director. And in season one, I was on set the whole time because we, um, we were up in a city called Sudbury, which is about probably a six hour drive from Toronto. And so we were all camped up there. But season two, I wasn't on set every day. It just it just didn't, uh, it didn't make sense for me to be there. And what I would do is, you know, hand in hand with the director, go through the tone of, of every scene. And, and just, it was very much a, a, a like a, like a partnership between me and Felipe, who directed all eight. And, and I let him and the production and one of our producers, Jay Bennett, be up there and, and uh, run the show while I was, sort of like an outside brain watching what was going on and I could and I could you know remind them of things and keep them on track that way and, and the fact of course that this is set in the woods in the cold had no bearing on the fact that you didn't wear set <laughs> <No>. every day <laughs> <laughs> had nothing to do with it <laughs> I was going to say if you, if you have so to be on, <laughs> yeah if you, if you have to be on set every day you write shows that are set on a beach in the sun <laughs> I know I kept I keep saying like, if we get a, a season three I wanted to be in Hawaii <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely that's what you want to do <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm assuming you've you've always been a fan of this sort of horror slash drama. What sort of movies did you grow up on in this sort of area? You know, I again, I was a teenager in the '80s, so I just remember us. You know, me and my friends, we'd always get together and terrify ourselves watching movies like Friday the Thirteenth or Halloween or Sleepaway Camp. Like there was the '80s had this you know slew of, of ridiculous slasher films that yeah. you know. Probably if you look back, aren't that great, but they were very effective. And so it's kind of season one, especially, was kind of a, like a love letter to all those uh, all those really iconic films. Um, so season two, it, it actually the, the films are probably Friday the Thirteenth and I Know What You Did Last Summer that were the two most influential for for what the storyline is. Yeah, I can see certainly influence of those in that definitely. I I went through when yeah. uh, my dad used to run a, a video business, so I. And, and it was one of those things that you had obviously the top sort of brand things like Ghost was a big movie at the time and that sort of stuff. But that a lot of the a lot of the kind of filler movies were anything from you know critters and all the trauma films and all that so i've seen a ridiculous amount of, of those sort of low budget slasher movies over the years but they're great fun those and 80s ones know, are brilliant and they're and they're like there's something kind of charming in a weird way about them but to me something like like torture porn kind of films i just can't watch like the i don't know the hostels of the world those kind of movies just they're, they're just so disturbing that I, I i can't watch them whereas i can watch an old slasher film because they're kind 
kind of funny. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I I very much am. I think that's probably the thing that turned me off a lot of the modern horror. And because as I said earlier, I don't watch that much horror. I think it's that torture porn stuff. Whereas the this is yeah. far more in that tradition of of the kind of classic eighties sort of slasher, which is far more my sort of thing. So you know, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. definitely enjoy that a lot more. If you give you some a couple more uh, general questions. What's the best piece of advice somebody's given you? So pertaining to the job, Linda Schuyler, who she basically created Degrassi, the whole Degrassi franchise, and she was my first boss in television. And she said to me that as a boss, what you always have to do is, even if you don't know the answer, give people an answer, because that's what people that are looking up to you in your leadership position need. So that's something that is always stuck with me. And then an early mentor, what really stuck with me that he said was that you can work in this industry in a competitive way, or you can work in this industry in a way that you maintain friendships and that ultimately will be better for you, which is so true. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I can see that. What's been the most interesting experience you've had whilst working so far? There were some, I mean, I, because the grassy had such a big fan base of not even necessarily teenagers. So I got to work with Kevin Smith playing yeah. his first assistant director. So that, <laughs> that was one um, you know, obviously Drake was a guy that we cast back in before he was Drake, the the singer. So that's been interesting watching his career you know, take off. And then of all people, Billy Ray Cyrus was on an episode of Degrassi and he played a <laughs> limo driver. So that was, <laughs> I don't know why, but that's, that, that happened and it was interesting. So, um, yeah, I guess each show's kind of different. Um, on Slasher, it's just the fun of, you know, it, horror is really scary to watch, but when you're actually shooting it, it's really fun. Which, which sounds weird, but it's, you know, you're, you're doing ridiculous stuff. We, we, in season one, we had uh, an actor named Jefferson Brown have to lay in this ditch we dug and we dropped live snakes on him for an hour. <laughs> why, why are we getting paid for this? It's very weird. <laughs> so that, that was probably, that was a highlight. <laughs> Yeah, that's that that constitutes interesting. I think certainly. <laughs> yeah, I got you know I got paid to drop snakes on someone. Okay, <laughs> brilliant. Um, yeah, and and you mentioned there working with Kevin Smith. Uh, I I am a huge huge Kevin Smith fan, and I know what a massive fan he was of Degrassi as well. So yeah, oh he he knew more about Degrassi than I did, and I was like I've been doing this for four years, but it was he's so smart. He's just and he's got this brain that remembers everything so yeah. and such a nice guy and thank god he seems to be doing better after his heart attack yeah yeah i was incredibly relieved to uh, to hear that he's doing okay and uh, seems to be kind of back out there and doing podcasts again and stuff so so uh, yes yeah. i'm very happy that he's well what career would you be doing if you weren't doing this do you think oh my god i don't know i'm just, I, I can't imagine i don't know i've never thought of that that's why i'm doing this i don't know uh, I wouldn't want to be working in an office and I wouldn't want to be a teacher, maybe a lawyer. Cause I can argue. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Interesting being a lawyer and then in an alternative reality are making these sort of slasher movies. <laughs> That's kind of yeah. <laughs> interesting juxtaposition. A couple of final questions that uh, we always ask people because yeah. obviously we cover a lot of TV shows. So um, first question would be, what TV shows are you watching at the moment? Um, what am I watching at the moment? Uh, I just finished Babylon Berlin, which I love, the German show. Right. Um, really excited for The Americas to be coming back, which is my favorite show on TV. That's a great series. Um, yeah, it's so good. And it's the last season, which makes me sad. What else am I watching? Right now, it's kind of weird because I don't uh, I don't watch things as they air necessarily anymore. Um, I love, I can tell you which shows I love. I, I love um, Search Party, which is a great comedy. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think those are the ones that stick out to me right now. They've just released a mini trailer for Night Flyers, this new thing based on the uh, George R.R. R. Martin, which uh, might be up your street. Know. Given that you worked on Killjoys a bit and, and you're on Slasher, that's sort of a horror sci-fi mix so uh, that might be worth checking out okay i will check that out for sure <laughs> if you had the opportunity to work on any show past present or future other than the ones you've been involved with obviously which show would it be i can tell you there would be two shows uh this like there's three shows so <laughs> i'm gonna give you three uh buffy the vampire slayer for sure. <laughs> yes rome which is one of my favorite shows i love and that Mad yeah. also one of my favorite shows Good, good collection. Good collection of shows. I adored yeah. Rome. I was so gutted when they didn't make more of that. And, and I know, was... It was too ahead of its time, right? It was... Yeah. It should have come out, you know, five years later. It would have done exceedingly well. 
yeah yeah and uh huge huge buffy fan obviously <laughs> so uh so yeah, yeah. Uh, that that would be a great show for you to be involved with i'm sure there are, there have been rumors of them bringing it back at some point although only if joss agrees know. so you know maybe maybe you can to, i want them to leave it as it was just let it let it go <laughs> i'm sick of all these reboots uh, yeah you see there there was one that they did in comic book form which was a vampire slayer set called frey vampire slayer but slayer but set in a future mm-hmm which uh, the comic books for that are great. I always thought that would make a great TV series if they wanted to do something within the Buffyverse, but, you know, new. That would be a a, a good way of going, I think. But uh, anyway, we'll see. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for spending a bit of time talking. Uh, I shall let you get back to it. Looking forward to uh, seeing the rest of it when it comes on to TV. Yeah, yeah. I hope you you, you can stomach the the murder scenes. There's a lot in between that you don't have to... Hide your eyes for. Yeah, I, I will. Uh, I will be carrying on watching it. I I did really enjoy the first episode. Okay. So uh, so yeah, looking forward awesome. to it. Brilliant. Okay. Cheers. Thanks well, for that. Really, yeah, thanks, thanks for talking. Bye. No problem. Bye. So that was the interview with Aaron Martin, the creator of Slasher Guilty Party, which you can see on Pick TV from Tuesday the 1st of May at 10pm. The next interview we have is with Ethan Van Rye and Eric Amdahl, who are the supervising sound editors of A Quiet Place, which is in UK cinemas right now. Because of the premise of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt's debut horror film, A Quiet Place, if they hear you, they hunt you. Ethan and Eric's jobs were crucial in immersing the audience into the uh, movie. The lack of dialogue in the film makes the sound a very integral part of building the suspense and amplifying the terror. We chat to them about uh, challenges working on the film, working with the composer Marco Beltrami, and uh, what their job entails. Just a bit of background on the two guys. Together, Ethan and Eric have garnered seven Oscar nominations and two wins for King Kong and Lord of the Rings two towers they're also responsible for the sound design and sound editing of the transformers movies including the upcoming bumblebee film uh, they've worked on argo godzilla the kung fu panda films a whole bunch of other movies that we'll talk about as well when we get into the interview here's the interview with these guys i hope you really enjoy it we'll see you afterwards for some highlights for next week on tv it's that time of the year Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey guys. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How's it going? Not too bad, thanks. It's very nice to have you come on and uh, talk about your work, particularly the latest film, obviously. You're actually the second sound designers we've had on. The first one was Julian Slater, who a week after on the show went on to be nominated for an Oscar. So, you know, no pressure. <laughs> no pressure at all. Yeah, no, we, we know Julian well. He's, he's a great guy. Um, yeah, lovely guy. He was robbed of that Oscar, if you ask me to be honest oh uh, yeah no it it happens though we've you know we've been robbed a, a few times as well <laughs> yeah yeah no i'm sure we're not biased at all um <laughs> yeah yeah i thought how anybody can vote anything other than baby driver for an oscar for, for winning that was uh, oh, beyond yeah it was a spectacular example of sound being part of the dna of the filmmaking yeah yeah totally um just in case anybody didn't hear the last Last time we had a sound designer on. Do you want to just explain what your job entails? Yeah, so our our job, both Ethan and I are um, supervising sound editors. Um, so our job is to really be the artistic and creative guides to the entire sound crew, which includes sound effects editors, sound designer, um, dialogue ADR team, um, Foley team, and we kind of shepherd and corral the team together into a shared sonic artistic vision <laughs> and then shepherd the experience and work with the filmmakers to create, you know, what we consider to be 50 percent of the cinematic experience, which is everything you hear, except for the music, of course. Yes, so we do influence how music is played and where it's played and 
obviously in a quiet place, that's um, very important. Yes, of course. <laughs> and, uh, just to add one one detail to what Eric's description, which is great and pretty complete, but just the, the mix process, you know, which um, we also kind of supervise because the, the way we work these days is basically we're mixing kind of, we're essentially temp mixing the whole time we're working all the way. And then that sort of just evolves into the final mix, which um, is just really the final sort of piece of the sound puzzle that comes together. And so we supervise, you know, that that part as well. Right. Yeah. That I think is a fairly good description that that works for me. So uh, how did each of you actually get into sound design in the first place? Well, uh, this is Eric. I'll start. Um, <laughs> I suppose I kind of started getting into sound um as a kid, I mean, maybe maybe first starting with playing the piano when I was five <laughs> five years old and coming up with my own compositions and uh, and it was something that I just really gravitated towards and um, and my father was uh, you know, kind of a hobbyist photographer and had a super eight millimeter camera and gave that to me and I started making my own silent films <laughs> until until I got my first video camera uh, high eight camera and um, then uh, actually started working with sound and I converted my parents dining room into a little editing and <laughs> mixing suite <laughs> so nice. I had at the time, I thought it was like an incredibly advanced um, Audio Technica eight-channel mixer. Like, wow, eight channels, <laughs> and uh, and of course, no automation. This is analog days, so yeah. you know, kind of mixing on the fly. And if you make a mistake, you have to roll all the way back and start over. Um, huh. And so, yeah, so I'd make my own movies and my own soundtracks, and then wound up going to um, college. And uh, originally, I was just going to study biology and do pre head and uh, at the last minute, I decided I wanted to double major and do film studies as well. And so uh, I went to uh, University of Southern California, which has a fantastic film school. Yeah. And uh, by my third year, decided it was just too much doing both pre-med and film. So I decided to focus exclusively on film. And uh, as a side job, worked in the sound department there at the film school Um and uh, one of my teachers was Tom Holman, who is the inventor of THX. So I had a lot of great influences there. And I uh, supervised the Spielberg scoring stage. So I'd record music scores there and um, just kind of fell in love with sound and uh, such a strong community of great people. Fortunately, I got a job offer right out of film school as an assistant sound editor on a television show called NYPD Blue. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and then, yeah, a year after that, I started doing effects editing and then slowly got into feature films and then uh, started supervising. And uh, then it was uh, in 2006, Ethan and I had our first collaboration together on the first Transformers film and uh, have been partners ever since. Yeah. Awesome. So, Ethan, what about you? Okay, so I also actually started um, early making my own uh, little Super 8 films in, in uh, high school and then after um, I really so I really love the sort of the process of going out into the world and capturing, you know, um, um, moments as, as they happen on film and, and sound and sort of love that whole experience. And then after high school, I, too, was going into the sciences. I started studying uh, hydrology and geology. And then I at the end of my first year of doing that, I got in a really bad car accident and was kind of lucky to live through it. Wow. Um, it reoriented my sort of priorities, made me really it was like one of those wake up calls, making me realize, man, life is tenuous. And I just maybe need to be doing what I really love to do. And what I really want to do is is get into filmmaking. So I switched uh, universities, started going to film school. And when I got out of film school, it was in the, I was in the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a little hub of film sound. And I got an apprentice position in sound editing at Skywalker Sound, which at that time was uh, George Lucas's sound facility, yeah. film sound facility. So I started working as an apprentice 
Venice. And within, before too long, I was uh, working on Francis Coppola's Godfather. And then I went on to work as an effects assistant on Terminator 2, which uh, <laughs> Gary Redstrom was the sound designer on. And he became sort of a mentor towards me. I spent close to a year working on that film, doing a lot of sound effects recording, field recording, mostly of vehicles and it really reminded me of what inspired me to get into filmmaking in the first place because I was able to get out into the world and capture things as they were happening and then bring these sounds back into the studio and start working with them to picture. And I found that whole process to be so magical where you're sort of creating more than the sum of its parts, you know, when you start putting sound to picture for the first time. Yeah. Uh, and then I sort of started doing more sound effects editing. Um, some of the highlights for me after the Terminator 2 were um, Titanic and then right after Titanic, Saving Private Ryan, which I, uh, again, Gary Rystrom uh, was the sound designer on. And I worked under him as sort of the lead sound effects editor. And then soon after that, I got the opportunity to move to New Zealand for a few years to be one of the supervising sound editors on the Lord of the Rings films, <laughs> the, the trilogy with uh, Peter Jackson. And that was a really incredible experience that really shaped uh, a lot of my thinking and my work. And then after that, I uh, came back to California and got the offered the first Transformers film and then hooked up with Eric uh, on that project. And that proved to be such an incredible collaboration creatively that um, we just decided we got to keep this going. And so we started our company E Squared <laughs> and we've been doing a lot of uh, a lot of diverse projects together since then. Yeah, I mean, the the projects you've worked on, uh, like you say, uh, Transformers Argo you did, didn't you? Um, That's right. Godzilla, the Kung Fu Panda movies. I mean, you know, don't get much more diverse than three projects like that. Uh, yeah, you know, one of the cool things is um, about doing this type of work is being able to do very different projects. And so life never gets boring. Um, yeah. That's one of the things I love about it. Variety is the spice of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, so the latest thing you've been working on is A Quiet Place, which has been getting amazing reviews and hugely popular all over the place. So, I mean, you're asked, do you want to do a movie called The Quiet Place? Is your first reaction, this will be easy. It's going to be quiet. <laughs> or, or, or did you, know, you sort of get the script and go, ah, okay. No, it's a funny thing is you'd think a, a movie that's called A Quiet Place would be easy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the opposite is true. Yeah. Um, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, a, a typical movie has, you know, that's full of sound or might be bombastic, might have a lot of score, music score, wall to wall, in a way is um, might even be simpler because you've got a little bit, you know, you've got a bit of a security blanket uh, with so much going on. And, you know, especially when there's score going as well, yeah, yeah. there's just this sort of like um, warm bath of, <laughs> you know, cloaking <laughs> everything and and a film like A Quiet Place, where it's intentionally so sparse, which is a critical story point, too. You know, sound is deadly. Sound is an issue of survival. Mm. So every little sound could be the potential for death. Um, so it's actually a lot harder. You're you're naked and little sounds become big sounds. And much of the challenge is how to create that negative space and what you subtract and uh, what you choose not not to play. Yeah, there's some really interesting things you did on on the film as well you've got a lot of unique stuff with like going inside the sort of sound of the characters heads mm -hmm. uh the, particularly you've got the uh the there's a deaf character who's actually played by a deaf actress in the film as well isn't it so mm -hmm. how did you come up with that idea and and how did you approach it well you know um when we started working on the movie uh, one of the first scenes we started working on was the, really the opening of the movie through the sort of attack that happened, the first attack that happens. Hmm. The first thing we were trying to do is just establish the sonic logic of the environment. Uh, you know, all the environmental sounds and the whole idea that there's no living things left that are loud or that stand out in any way from the background because 
there are, you know, they would have all been killed. And so just trying to basically set up the rules of the film, really, to, to live by for the rest of the film. And then as we started doing that, we realized, you know, this character is deaf. And part of what we want to do is really suck the audience in to this experience and, and have the audience really be active participants in this story. And we realized, um, you know, what we really need to do is go inside the perspective of some of these characters whenever we can. And having a deaf character, like what a perfect way to get into uh, into this experience. So in the scene, on the as the family's walking to the to the bridge, there was a scene where we go close to to Regan right before this attack starts. Regan, the 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 deaf daughter, and we're like, okay, we need to really. This is a place to go inside and experience the world that she's experiencing. And then when we're there, and she sees the fear that's on her dad's face as he hears this loud sound being made, it's going to be this interesting contrast between perceiving the world as she perceives it and not hearing anything and then seeing this incredible fear on her dad's face. And what would it be like to experience this moment that mm. way? And so we experimented with that and felt it was really powerful. And then that it sort of uh, grew from there where we worked backwards into the uh, pharmacy, really realizing we we need to establish this idea of going into what John came to call her sonic envelope. Right. And we need to set this up earlier at the beginning of the movie. So at that point, John was incredibly into the into the whole idea to the point where in pickup shoots, they went in, like got more close ups of her ear with the cochlear implant to, to give us a place to, to go into her sonic envelope and set up this whole idea of a sonic you know, perspective for her. And then we realized, well, we need to do this with the creature as well because it's blind and everything for it is based around its incredibly acute hearing. So we need to experience that. And then, you know, lastly, it's like the 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 envelope of all the hearing characters. Yeah. What is their experience of the world? And that becomes in many ways the experience of the of the audience and helps suck the audience into this whole world. It's a really clever trick and uh, I mean works superbly well. So how are you putting those sounds together? Where where are you finding these those sounds? Are they is everything pretty much recorded fresh or is it are you using stuff that you've kind of collected over the years or is it coming from libraries? How how are you putting all the sounds together. Yeah, it's all basically all of the sounds are either sounds that we record fresh for the movie or else things that we've pretty recently recorded and have that, you know, haven't used in something else, but just have as part of our personal recording libraries. We do a lot of recording with, um, you know, one of the cool, some of the cool tools that we're able to use are some newer microphones that allow us to do some pretty, fun fun things in unusual ways and and these are recordings that we kind of have to do ourselves because they don't exist in yeah. any you know libraries right yeah yeah do you find yourself kind of wandering down the street one day and hear something and think that'd be really useful and end up sort of whipping a recorder out to record stuff totally yeah <laughs> no we 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 bring we have our rigs with us um kind of everywhere in fact um <clears throat> Fortunately, my wife is very understanding. Uh, my recording, <laughs> my recording rig came with us on our honeymoon, and, uh, <laughs> um, because you know, I mean, the, uh, and I, I think the the thing that makes me um, find so much joy in that too is that. Um, it allows us to pay more attention to reality. You know, I think. I think what can kind of sometimes happen is uh, for for any given person, you can start to tune out reality and really start to only focus on what's right in front of your nose at any moment. And uh, the act of recording is, um, in a sense, kind of a meditation, and it kind of forces you to experience reality in, in a heightened way. And after having done this for a few years, it's uh, you listen in a different way. It's a different type of a 
awareness. So all the time we, you know, there might be a bus going by that has just a weird air break. And you go, okay, I need to wait here at the same time tomorrow and record that. Um, <laughs> yeah. The interesting thing I find too is like some of the feedback we're getting on the movie is I, I feel like, you know, people are starting to, are getting some of that same experience that, that Eric has just described that we get when we go out recording where we really are forced to listen in a really fresh way, really open our ears up. And some of the feedback we've been getting on the experience of watching the film reminds me of that experience where people are really being forced to open their ears in a in a fresh way and really hear things the way they've never heard them before. And it's really just about listening. Yeah, it was kind of fun to hear stories from people saying they were afraid to eat popcorn yeah. dinner and, and, you know, in, in a way, making themselves an active participant in, in the story and the in the scenes and and um, relating to the characters in in a really interesting kind of way and uh, that's kind of fun like making an audience like collectively hold their breath <laughs> hang on hang on to every little sound and and we don't really let them go until the ending credits see sound designers revenge on the noisy cinema <laughs> absolutely yeah, absolutely it's like yeah make force people to shut up and listen <laughs> yeah <laughs> absolutely how was how was working with john because i mean he's well known as an actor but not so mm -hmm. i mean he's directed a couple of little things but and he directed some of the office but yeah th this is he by was, far the biggest thing amazing. yeah he was amazing like so fearless in terms of like trying some of these kind of bold and unconventional things that we tried to do in the movie in terms of getting as quiet as we did to the point of total silence, you know, digital mm. zero, which is kind of unheard of in movies. And he was like, so like fearless about going into into these kind of bold new territory in a way that it was really a, uh, just in a joy to work with him. And he's just also so enthusiastic, you know, and has so many ideas and is so creative, like really amazing. Yeah, I mean, the very first time we met him, so we'd worked with the producers before um, and they, they asked us to come in and meet with John and see if we'd be a good fit. And of course, you know, reading the script, we're like, oh man, this is gonna be awesome. And this will be a dream. And before we could say anything, John was like, this is a sound designer's dream. <laughs> oh, okay, great, you get it, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and he just encouraged um, the whole team to just go for it. And John has an incredible ear, really amazing. There was one point dur during the final mix where he was hearing something that no one else on the stage could hear. And there was one little tiny automation bump in volume within one of the several dozen music stems going on. <laughs> and he could hear that tiny little um, bump. And it, uh, it was kind of amazing because um, we're... <clears throat> The rest of us, we're all professionals. We do sound for a living. Um, we have very <laughs> finely tuned ears. But uh, he showed us that, man, he's he's got golden ears. We actually said, hey, if the directing thing doesn't work out for you, uh, why don't you come work for us? Because we're really good with sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned the music there. There is music as well in, in the film. It's uh, yes. uh, with, from Marco. I mean, how was it working with him on that? Because didn't you... You end up removing some of his score from the project yeah. as well. Ethan was describing the uh, opening scenes where we um, we shift into the daughter's um, you know cochlear implant sonic point of view. Hmm. And originally there was um, music through that section, which made it kind of impossible to register those shifts of perspective. So that was kind of the first place where. You know, we realized we need to strip away and music in particular in order to clarify that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was interesting because when we started, when we first started working on the movie, it was just a very early cut. And because there really wasn't much sound design at that point, there was temp music mm, everywhere. So right. the first thing we did really is start, and it wasn't, um, I think most of it wasn't Marco's music. Some of it might have been demos from him. But the very first thing we did is started like removing a lot of music just because we've 
like Eric's just described, in, in order to tell some of the story sonically, we just felt it was necessary to really strip it down, including the music or, or even mostly the music. And then, you know, as Marco's music started to come in, there were various places that it had to come back out in order to let some of these moments really just, you know, read sonically. Yeah. Um, but then what it also allowed is for the music when it did play to really have a bigger impact because it wasn't wall to wall anymore. Yeah. So it really had, you know, gravitas when we did use it. It was very specific and very, um, very intentional. Yeah. And Marco is just not only incredibly gracious and willing to try anything, but also just the consummate storyteller. Like he he sees the big picture and and um, and gets it. Yeah. And I think in terms of telling the emotional story of the family, um, you know, we couldn't have had a better partner in working on this film. Like Ethan and I have been fortunate. We worked with him a few times. I, my first time was on iRobot, which he scored. Oh, right. Yeah. And then more recently we did World War Z and uh, and The Shallows. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, it's just such a pleasure working with Marco. I'm glad he wasn't like overly upset about you <laughs> removing his music. I imagine him wandering away, muttering under his breath about you might have decided to do this before I wrote all this score. <laughs> well, that's the thing. We did do it. We did do it before you wrote it. Uh, that's good. That's good. Um, but then it, you know, things happen so quickly that. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it works for the film, and that's that's the important thing, isn't it? So exactly. Right. Yeah, right. it's you gotta you gotta always keep the big picture in mind. You know, yeah. Like what's really serving the story at any given point in time, any moment, and that's 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 what it's all about. Yeah, absolutely. A couple of last questions for you. They're kind of TV related because we we cover a lot of TV shows on the site. I know you guys mainly do film but uh, we always ask these to people so the first question would be what tv shows are you watching at the moment well let's see i'm excited for the next season of um westworld to yes uh this Sunday is coming back. That's that'll be very fun. Um, I've been watching uh, the effects series Trust about the J. Paul Getty family. Oh, yeah, we're getting that soon. I'm looking forward to that. That's really good. I just started yeah. watching it last night. It's really, really well done. Yeah. yeah. And then we also like Rick and Morty at home, my wife and I. <laughs> oh, I love Rick and Morty. <laughs> I've been watching Homeland. Uh, which I've been uh, followed. I guess this is the final season. Is uh, no, one, one more left. One more one, after this. Oh, okay. Anyways, I've loved that um, series since the beginning. Yeah. What else? I started watching Trust last night, which is phenomenal. Good. Uh, and I recently did a binge catch up on uh, Game of Thrones because I hadn't been able to watch the last season ah. when it was when it was actually on. And so I did a like two night binge to get caught up there, <laughs> which is uh, always awesome. Yeah, yeah. I'm so looking forward to the... I'm sad, but I'm looking forward to the final season of that. It's going to be amazing next year. And the last question would be, if you had the opportunity to work on any TV show, past, present or future, which show would it be? <laughs> oh, past, present or future. You know what? Maybe uh, this answer might change if you ask me again tomorrow, but... um. My favorite TV show growing up was Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> so I think that tied with perhaps Patrick McGowan's The Prisoner. Uh, <laughs> it might be one of those. Good choice. And what about you? That's funny. I'm struggling. All I can think of is I Love Lucy. dialogue editing in that one. I don't know why. Maybe that's uh, that was my youngest uh, TV watching memories. So they've like the, the most deeply ingrained in my uh reptilian brain maybe maybe well you know she was amazing first female studio head in the 50s i mean you know what walking <laughs> she was brilliant so i'm a huge fan of lucy so awesome well thank you for spending a bit of time to talk through your work it's been a real pleasure having you on hopefully we'll get you back on again when your your next project comes up we'd, we'd love that it's been a pleasure i will talk to you again soon hopefully all right, all right. thanks thank so much you. cheers okay bye. okay bye-bye so that was the interview with ethan and eric hope you really enjoyed that quiet play is out in cinemas right now. Here's some highlights for next week on TV. 
So, few highlights for next week. First up, if you've not had enough of horror yet, there is The Terror, which comes to AMC Global on the 24th of April at 9pm. That's the Wrigley Scott TV show about the Royal Navy's perilous passage into uncharted territory as the crew attempts to discover the Northwest Passage. If you haven't got AMC, they're also doing something quite interesting because AMC comes as part of the BT Sports package. So if you haven't got that, you won't have AMC on Sky. But as a promotional thing, they are putting it on YouTube. They're putting the first episode on YouTube for 24 hours on the 24th from midnight. So if you want to uh, see the first episode but don't have AMC Global, go to youtube.com forward slash BT from one minute past midnight on Tuesday the 24th of April. You can watch the first episode anywhere in the UK for free. So uh, go and keep an eye out for that if you want to see what the show is like. Next up we have Barry, which is a new show starring Bill Hader as an ex-Marine who turns into a low-rent hitman in the Midwest. It's uh, also got Henry Winkler in it. It looks like a very, very funny show. That's coming to Sky Atlantic on the 26th of April at quarter to 11. We've got one show I've been desperately waiting for, which is called Happy, and uh, that follows the story of a corrupt intoxicated ex-cop turned hitman who's injured when a hit goes bad only to have his life changed forever by a relentlessly positive imaginary blue-winged horse named Happy voiced by Pat Oswald. Really, what more do you need in a TV show? That is coming to Netflix from the 26th of April and I urge you to go watch that. It looks hilarious. Also on Netflix on the 27th, The New Legends of Monkey, which is a new revamped version of the old Monkey TV series. It's actually not technically a remake because there are various shows that have been made based on the uh, novel A Journey to the West. This is just a new iteration. But for those of you that watched the old Monkey TV show, I'm sure you'll want to go and check it out. That's the new Legends of Monkey that's on Netflix from the 27th of April. You've got uh, Superstition also coming to Netflix. That's on the 29th of April. This is a supernatural drama about the Hastings family who own a funeral home in the mysterious town of La Rochelle, Georgia, stars Mario Van Peebles. Don't know any more about it than that, but it's called Superstition. That's coming to Netflix on the 29th of April. Superstore Season 3, that's coming to ITV2 on the 30th of April at 8.30. Stars America Ferreira and Ben Feldman. Uh, it's, It's basically a workplace comedy uh, about a family of employees that work in a supersized megastore. First two seasons went out fairly quickly because we're running behind. I think we've about caught up with the uh, US now. Season 3 of Superstore comes on the 30th of April at 8.30. And then, as we were talking about earlier, Slasher Guilty Party, season 2 of that, comes to Pick TV on Tuesday the 1st of May at 10pm. Go and watch that. I've seen the first episode. If you like your sort of gory slasher teen horrors well worth going to watch it's great fun so go and see that and that's everything for this week and we will be back with a full show next week if you want to find us in the meantime obviously go to geektown.co.uk to get all the latest air date information and tv news we're posting throughout the week and things are changing quite rapidly we're coming up to upfront which is the time in may when all the renewals and cancellations come in so uh you keep an eye on the site for that if you want to get in touch with the podcast with your questions or comments email podcast at geektown.co.uk leave a message on the website post find us at geektown on twitter on facebook at facebook.com forward slash geektown on youtube at youtube.com forward slash geektown and on instagram at geektown uk that's everything we shall see you next week bye bye Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com.